Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. For the coming weeks, we're going to be hearing a lot from Acts. Today, our reading is from chapter 4, just a few verses, verses 32 through 35. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I mentioned last Uh, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, how much I loved the timing of that particular Resurrection Sunday and gave a whole list of reasons why. Well, I'm also loving the timing of this series that begins today. It's common for preachers to, in the season after after Easter Sunday, uh, to preach occasionally from Acts, but But I'm not just selecting a few Acts passages. We're going to camp here for the next seven weeks. For the next seven Sundays, we're going to give our imagination to the thrilling days of the start of the Christian movement. So here's here's why I'm so excited about the timing of this. So the first Christ followers had no idea where this new adventure was headed. And we don't either. So we've got a lot to learn, I think, from watching and listening to their story. The book of Acts, you know, is volume two of uh, Luke's two-volume work. The first volume bears his name and is the story of Jesus. The second volume, Luke, is the story of this early Christian movement, the birth of the church. So stay with me here on the timing. Last week, where we finished off as a church was Resurrection Sunday. And the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, finishes off with resurrection and then some post-resurrection appearances and the ascension. And then they made the shift as we are. We're in Acts asking as they did. Okay, what now? See, the, the followers of Jesus had been, had been walking all this time in his shadow and hanging on every spoken word and gasping at every miracle. But now Jesus isn't at the table. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. So they're all looking at each other saying, what do we do next? There, there's no blueprint. 
There's, there's no church history. There's no manual. In fact, I've entitled this seven-part series, The Church with No Heritage Room. They had nothing. So you can see now why I love the timing of this. We, we're at the same place asking, what now? We're coming out of this pandemic. Today's our first Sunday with people in the pews. Some of this looks familiar, but we know nothing about how to be the church in a post-COVID world. Who's coming back? We don't know. Who's going to decide to stay home and do Sunday school and worship in their fuzzy slippers? We don't know. How do we deliver ministry now that the world is hybrid and live stream and Zoom and Facebook live? We don't know. And this could be so frightening that we just sit and stare at each other. But on the other hand, we might just capture some of the excitement and energy of the early church that went so boldly into this Jesus movement and with the leadership of the Holy Spirit figured it out as they went along. I mentioned that they had no manual. Well, we've kind of got one up on them there. I mean, we've, we've got a manual of sorts, I suppose. At least we have their God-inspired model. We've got a record of what they valued, what they trusted, where where they staked their claim. They, They modeled for us how to be in community, how to pray, how to trust the Holy Spirit of God. So, for these weeks together, we will immerse ourselves in the first century movement and pray that that same spirit and energy and creativity and divine guidance will animate our next steps as we try to figure out how to be the stewards we're called to be to carry this story of God's love in our part of the relay race. So, for these seven weeks, we're going to live with this early sect that was within Judaism. Remember, they were not called Christians early on. They were called the way. And they were within the Jewish tradition. And they are our ancestors and our guides. Uh, One preliminary word about how Luke structures the story Both Luke and Acts are travelogues. The story gets told on the way, and on the way, and on the way. Then there's a second thing that Luke does in structure in in Acts. Luke moves back and forth from wide lens, what's happening in the world and community, down to this narrow focus where we get to peek inside the stained glass windows at what the early church is talking about, how they're figuring it all out. So, let me start by giving that part of the context. Here's what's going on outside, big wide lens picture. The religious authorities have singled out 
they have targeted leaders of the way. You know, the temple power structure is so disturbed and so challenged by this new movement inside of Judaism. So much so that earlier in this chapter, Peter and John are arrested. There's a real threat, a real persecution. And then, then Luke takes us inside today's passage. Insight about what's happening inside this figuring it out community. And what he tells us just looks so kumbaya and so gushing about their early life together. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one claimed private ownership of their possessions. Everything they had, they just had in common. With power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection. Great grace was on them all. Nobody was needy. For anybody who had need, they took care of. People sold land. They sold houses. They brought the proceeds together from what they had sold so that anybody who had need would have what they need. Well, I've I've heard all the critiques about this being a passage of Christian socialism, but I don't think that's what's at the heart of the text. Well, As to the finances, let me say this. I do think there are two important takeaways that as we start navigating our next journey as second pots, I think there are two things that we ought to take home about the way the finances worked. First is that Jesus Christ and this new movement, The Way, were so compelling that these people had to reevaluate what they thought about and how they spent their money. Let's be clear, this does need to be a part of what we learn from this story, and it should reshape our lives together, because generosity is at the heart of the Christian movement. If the resurrection has not disturbed how we think about our possessions... Then we missed something somewhere, didn't we? But more than that, I think this passage is intending to describe for us a kind of how community formed, how, how this shared trust happened, how it modeled a movement away from fear and competition into something of intimacy and reliance and real Christian community. They were of one heart and soul. Heart beats together. And when it's like that, sharing just becomes a byproduct of that kind of community living. When Melissa and I were in Warrington, you know that I... when. I went to seminary. We lived in Warrington, North Carolina, and I served the church there. Warrington, population 1003. I know that because it was on the sign, which apparently means that nobody ever moved in or out of Warrington. It was population 1003. 
Anyway, the church I served there, Warrington Baptist Church, was the largest church in the whole county. It was the big church, which meant on a really strong Sunday, we might have 80 people. Since there were 1,003 people in the community, in the county, I think, uh, they weren't all that concerned with church growth. They kind of knew everybody and what their story was. They turned a lot of their attention to service in Christ's name. And this community, this forming of community, I, I watched in them a, a one heart and one soul kind of thing that happened naturally out of their just living together. Come over. Come on over, we'll throw some steaks on the grill. Here's an example. Sears and Smitty Bug, that's really their name. I didn't, I didn't change names to protect the innocent. Sears and Smitty Bug were multi, uh, they'd been there, their family had been there for generations. And Sears and Smitty owned a, a small trucking company. They had, a, uh, they had a trucking business that provided routes for long-haul routes all over the eastern seaboard and all of that. Well, because they had all these vehicles, all of their personal vehicles were on the same fleet insurance policy, so they had cars kind of laying around everywhere, including an old, big, beat-up pickup truck that sat behind Smitty's house. Smitty kept the documents in the, in the glove box, and the one key in the ignition, there was no keychain, there was no hiding place, there was one key that stayed in the ignition all the time. Anybody who needed a pickup truck took their car, parked it next to Smitty's in the backyard, and took his. Nobody in the church had to ask about that. If you needed a truck, you drove your car over to Smitty's, left it, got the truck, Went and you ran your errands, picked up the pine straw, whatever, filled it up with gas, took it back to Smitty's backyard, left it where you found it, and left the key stuck there in the ignition. It never moves. Well, if Smitty came home, his truck was gone. He knew who had it because he could identify anybody's car from the community. He knew who had left their car there and taken his truck. You see, this wasn't Christian socialism. And it certainly wasn't from Smitty. It was shared possessions. Christian community. It's, it's, it's a new way of thinking about stuff. And the early church had this kind of shared love within the community of believers such that they thought differently about what was theirs. They also thought differently about what endures, what matters, and realized it's really not stuff. But another attribute of their life together, and this is what really got my attention. This is the part of the passage that when I was studying in preparation for this, this is the line that raised its hand and asked to be called on. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I mentioned 
that earlier in this chapter, Peter and John had been arrested for giving testimony. And still, these Christian leaders are giving testimony all over the place. So what if I get arrested with great power? Dynamis in the Greek. Dynamite power. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, so much has been written in recent years about the declining church in America. Well, this group, the way these Jesus followers didn't have a declining church. They didn't have church. Still, they went around giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was at the center of everything they were about. And our reinvigorated life together must follow that same model with Jesus at the center of all that we are about. Less concerned with who's staying home in their pajamas and more focused on a witness to the centrality of Jesus as the source of life abundant. We've wondered how we're going to do ministry in a post-COVID America. Well, our challenges in that regard are not quite as steep a hill to climb as the risk of getting arrested for bearing witness. Second Ponce will figure out live stream. In fact, we're in the process of asking and evaluating what kind of technology we need to install to deliver ministry in this new hybrid world. But the, the early believers were knocking down every barrier, risking imprisonment, telling every listener with dynamis, with great power, their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Technology is a pretty small hurdle if you've got enough passion. Here's our lesson and our opportunity. The lesson, of course, is found in our looking in, into the pages of Acts and looking at the life of the early church for keys about what shaped their core values, the kind of founding principles of the church. And at the center of that was the person of Jesus and the model that the Christ followers were giving testimony everywhere they went. The opportunity that's ours right now is this great expanse of the soon-to-be post-pandemic Atlanta. Because for 14 months, our neighbors and co-workers and friends have been stripped of their shiny veneer, of the trappings of their identity, sitting at home in stained T-shirts and Nike gym shorts, wondering a whole new set of questions 
they might not have been asking 14 months ago. Like, really? Is there nothing more to life than how many gadgets I can collect? Is there really going to be real meaning and satisfaction if I make the next rung at work? Is there any place out there where I would be loved, where I would belong without my makeup or my business card? Is there a place that lives with a sense of purpose that is so big, so worthy, that I would sell some of my stuff to buy in and be a part of it with great power. The apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. A great grace. At Second Ponce, we're going to be installing new sanitizing stations and We'll mount new Zoom cameras and create hybrid meeting rooms. We're going to live stream across all platforms. But none of that's going to matter much without a deeper commitment from all who are members of the way. Shared possessions, you bet. We've got to give more money to support this Jesus way. Right now, our COVID lull has also put us behind in our giving. And we've got to reinvigorate generosity. This passion about what Jesus is doing in the world has to make us more alive. We've also got to bind ourselves to one another in in our shared commitment to Jesus that ties us to a living together commitment. We need to be eating out of each other's fridge more. So when this pandemic is over, invite us. We'll invite you. But more than anything, we need an enlivened witness. A a deep down burning desire that people will know the abundant living in devotion to the Christ, the fullness of what it means to follow the resurrected Jesus. A a testimony has got to burn white hot within us in a way that we're willing to risk and invite, witness, love, include, and pick up on Sunday. We've got to become creative and alive in the ways we give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And when the early church did this, and they did it with dynamous power, it was met with great grace. And my hunch is, if we recommit to this kind of activity as a body of believers, it'll be met with great grace as well.
Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.